Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host Patrick from Pull String Press for this great studio. Hey, Patrick, good morning. Good morning, Mark. Sorry. Thank I was, you. I was leaving a little gap there because I, I have to cut something in. See how you are? You, you're always the engineer. I love I, that. I, I can't. Yeah, it's even in real life, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about my conversation, thinking like, well, how am I going to edit this later? I'm not. You're not. Not. You're just, not. Just chatting on the street. <laughs> I love that. I want to carry a recorder with me all the time. That's I think. Uh, creepy. And you do. It's called your iPhone. Yes. Oh, that's right. You do. I would love you to meet our guest this morning, Aaron Pick. Aaron, how are you? Great. Thanks. Thanks for coming to the studio. I met you, I think it was a couple of years ago. I was coming back from from Sacramento. We had won the um, California State Business of the Year Award from the Senate side, and the founder of Allen Construction had won it on the uh, 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 the legislative Doss Williams had had uh, recommended them, and it was here. It is. I'm in Sacramento, and we're in line to register to get our stuff. And I hear this guy talking about Santa Barbara, and I'm like, okay, hold it. There's like 300 people here. How is it that this guy at this time and we had not met and introduced, and then I got to come and meet you. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. So I, I remember in that conversation that we had. We were talking about economic development. We were talking about 805 Connect, which is kind of the, the umbrella over this show. And that you were telling me that you had a lot of experience in that area of community development and economic development. And I thought that would be an interesting place to start today. Let's do it. So wh- where was that at? So most of this has been focused in California, but I've done this in a couple of places. So the prior job that I'd been in before I came to Santa Barbara, worked at the James Irvine Foundation, and a big part of what we do in the educational front is create regions that all work together. And so part of that was how do you get the grassroots um, sort of building momentum that's on the ground aligned with nonprofits in an inner region and the education sector and in this case high schools so that everybody's working together and part of the reason we did that is because when you're trying to get kids to graduate you realize this is not going to be a sustainable movement unless you have a lot going on in the system that stays and is kind of helping collaborate and keep things going so superintendents turnover can be about 18 months come and go different changes if you don't have the surrounding pieces to keep that going these movements will sort of fall off and so just started working on hubs throughout the state and picked the biggest districts, Los Angeles Unifieds, those type that said, hey, how are we gonna work with United Way, all these other partners to keep this sort of movement going so that when superintendents come and go, you have this going for a long time, for decades. And so that's sort of where that work started and started falling in love with the network and connection side of this because uh, you have people in that system that have worked for decades and this is their passion and they're calling in life. And then you have other actors who come in that come and go. And so getting those actors that are gonna be there for the long haul and really know the communities is where I started realizing this is where the work happens for the long term. And so that's what really kind of got me in the game there where I really got interested in this for the 
first part of this, I lived in Nicaragua for three years, um, 2003 to 2006. And part of what we were doing there is trying to create an educational community center in a rural village to start this out, where it was connected to all the schools within, you know, really a three, four mile radius. And everybody would come in from the community and realize that that's way bigger than just a school movement. That's a community movement. How do you get the community on board, the mayor on board? Everybody who's working kind of in that system. How do you do? How, yeah, how, yeah. How do, how, how do you get the yeah, mayor on board? Please, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. It's different in, in Nicaragua than it is here. Um, when the mayor lived probably three three houses down on the street, you know, you see the mayor. But every it's the day, same thing. The, the the mayor is that person that changes sure. on a regular basis, right? Absolutely. So, so what what were the? Give me the three things that you identified because the person that's listening right now might be in in Finland or in one of the. <laughs> we always here's the funny. I thing. go to Finland. There's like 42 countries that listen to the show. Mark only ever mentions Finland. <laughs> <laughs> the Finnish like, people right now are going, Yeah, yeah. Mark, awesome, thank you. We got this worldwide leader, but Finland is the only shout out Mark ever yeah, gives. Just, I'm yeah. giving a shout out to Nicaragua. Right Could here. You, okay, there yeah, you go. Nicaragua, yeah. As you say. Could you even pick Finland out of the three? I, you know, I don't know why that is, but that's interesting because in improv, whenever because we have to name people in improv, <laughs> my cohorts on Monday night said, "Why do you always name us Bob?" And so for for now, now it has to be Bob. But yeah, for, for some reasons, right. I, so I'm going to go look on SoundCloud and I'm going to pick another country for our next <laughs> week. I promise. <laughs> there's there's 42 other. To, you don't think I, I will? I, but I like what you were saying about about to, to there, turn it back around to to what are what, what are the tricks to because it to, seems to be a universal thing. Mm-hmm. Like to if pulling you, in a constituency, you got somebody. excited about it in Iraq, Nicaragua, and then you came. Wh- where were you running? The Irvine is based out of San out of, Francisco. Out of San Francisco. Yeah. Got it. So, so what were those the three things that were universal to both places? Yeah. One of the things that really stands out to me, and I, I learned this in Nicaragua, and I think I saw it again in California. Um, one of the first things that happened, you ha- kind of have to have a c- proof of concept. It, okay. I think this just applies anywhere. So knowing that you have a model that you can bank on that really works and that you have some okay. evidence behind that. Okay. And there's been a lot of traction on that in the philanthropic world, and I think that makes sense. That's not replicable or necessarily something that's going to be built out unless you've proven that it can be. And so it's one thing to have a model. It's another thing to get that to be more expansive and to kind of stand the test of time. And seeing that work in Nicaragua, I realized if I didn't have people who, because I knew I wasn't probably going to be there forever. Um, You know, I wasn't sure when I went down there and started this thing. Um, But I basically ask everybody in town, who can I most trust? Who is it that you as a community trust? Um, And so there were a couple principles that were identified, the and I really kind of built huh. the board there, and I built my staff around that. Um, and so when I had a country director down there, it was one of the principals of the school. She'd been doing this you know, for her whole life. It, she was well known in that community, and that's a tight community. Um, they, you know, generations and generations have been there. It's one of these things where you can do research down there, and you just go back down 10 years later, and everybody's still living in the same houses, right. and you can track where you know students have gone since then. So I think that was the most important part, because you had somebody who the community knew and trusted, and you can kind of build things around them. The other piece to this is you have to identify which entities, it's not just an individual, but the entity that people respect. And so in oh. Nicaragua, there's, I mean, almost everybody is Christian in sort of this name, but it's Catholic or Protestant, and there were right. big factions there, and it sure. actually divided um, kind of affiliation. And so part of what I did there is, you know, every time I was going to hire somebody, I'm like, well, if we have, 
you know, Protestant, the next one, like Catholic. How do we get this thing as so integrated as possible? Partisanship, yeah, because right. it had to be the whole community. And so what right. started, it was one of the few places where I think everybody felt, oh, this is for everybody. This is for all of us. Um, and then in addition to that, we realized, okay, this can't just be for students. This needs to be for the whole community. What do the parents want? What do others want? And so, you know, part of this was around a library at first, and then it turned into mentoring center, music center, art center. And we realized as adults, they, they really wanted cookbooks. They wanted things that I would have never thought the library would provide. They wanted uh, books on Microsoft and like trying to learn sort of more technical, um, you know, educational uh, approaches to anything. And so we st started moving that direction because we realized this has to be more than just the students. The parents, once they bought in, the students were buying in. The teachers, we'd say, hey, what are you working on? They said, we're doing a lesson plan. And I said, we will cover anything you're going to do on your lesson plan, but you have to tell all the other teachers in town what's going on, and you have to bring them into this center after school so that everybody in town is using it. So it became a much more collaborative effort. And in the same vein, in California, where I saw this working, we didn't just have one hub. We had six regional hubs that we really started with, hmm. and so there was a lot of connection. You'd bring people together. There would be an annual... Um, conference that we'd have all these hubs come together where they learn from one another. And so it wasn't having an isolated movement, I just don't think works, especially when there's turnover. And so you need you mm. need that traction within the mm. hub and then you need that traction outside the hub to kind of be learning from others and moving that forward. And I think those were two things that were similar in both of these and part of why they're both moving strong after many, Still. many years later. Yeah. Is that is that something that you saw um because as you say that, I feel like you're you're kind of loosely describing something that you saw not work. Like you saw an example of that where it's like they didn't get constituent buy-in. They didn't get, you know, they didn't have, they didn't leave, they, they just kind of came in, dropped a big thing, and then walked away from it. Or like didn't didn't leave behind, you know, somebody to support it or something. Like, So I think in both these cases, and maybe this is just luck, but I don't think so. I think there was a lot of... Uh, thought that went into this, both of these movements are still going strong. And the reason for that is, and, and it, maybe this is just my background as a strategy consultant, management consultant for many years, you do your best work when you're almost irrelevant afterwards. You're trying to empower and build something where you're not needed there. Right. And so I think part of that in Nicaragua, it, you know, I started, so I, I went from, in 2006, I came back to business school at Berkeley. I left Nicaragua. I'm like, is this thing going to actually work? By that point, they had been built into this kind of movement there that was really going somewhere. And I realized, I went down in the summer in between my first and second year, things were going pretty well. They stopped calling as much. I'm like, right. am I just being a bad boss or is this thing still working? <laughs> right. And it right. eventually got to the point where I realized, oh, they're fine. They, they have this because it was so internal. Um, and in the same sense, in California with linked learning, that was a much bigger, you know, effort. There were so many of us involved in that, that when we had transitions out, it kept moving. And it still is to this day. I mean, that's been going for probably, I mean, it might be up to about 15 years now. It's been over a decade. So those are both still really going strong. Which proves your original premise, which is that the leadership is, is uh, transitional or um, uh, transient is the mm -hmm. right word. And so even the consultant is transient mm -hmm. in, that, in that sense, right? So how do I build a sustainable yeah. organization? Uh, you, you said that you, you started with library centers, then you did mentor centers, you said a third one. So we did art and music as well. And basically it was what does the community want? What's right. gonna drive right. Right. Um, 
people to this center and make it a core part of what they want to learn. Well, what what went through my mind when you said that was, I like this idea of if I'm going in, if I'm stranger in a strange land, okay, who not, who can I trust is who you trust. Okay, who do you trust? That good. Mm-hmm. And then the next part, which, which entity do I trust? And that's when you started understanding, oh, there's going to be partisanship here. Is it, is it religious partisanship? Is it political partisanship? Mm-hmm. What, wh- where is that? Okay, now I've got that piece. Then you, you said, well, I can't just listen to the students. I need to also listen to the, the parents, but I also need to listen to the teachers. So I drew three circles, and where those intersect is a center, and that center then becomes the library center, the mentor center, the art and music, which becomes the center of community. And once you've figured out the community piece, you have sustainability. Did I get all that? I think that sounds great. <laughs> okay. You're ready to go run it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would see, what, what I try to do in the show is I, is I want to get to the core idea of it and, and figure out the learning from it. And then can we laterally apply that someplace else, right? Because someone who's listening may not be out trying to solve an educational problem, but they might have some other problem and go, oh, because figuring about figuring out sustainability, I think as a leader is the biggest deal because we are going to leave, right? We're either going to term out, we're going to go, we're going to get bored and go do something else. And you want to leave a legacy. You want to leave a sustainable thing in your wake, right? So tell me about um, what you're doing now and how that fits with what you've done in the past. Because tell tell the audience what sure. you do now. Yeah, this is going to seem like the most circuitous path ever to this point. <laughs> well, no, um, I, and that's I, maybe... I'm a guy who's done a lot of circles, so that's that's <laughs> yeah. why I think it's interesting. So I came down to Santa Barbara about two and a half years ago and am uh, running Allen Construction and is been actually what. I think part of, I kind of chuckle as I say that because you ask, well, what's the connection to that and what I've just been talking about? And I think for me, a lot of that and part of why we were up for this award in Sacramento is we're an employee-owned company um, as an ESOP. And I love that. It's about employee ownership and how do we take this company to be one to make it different? How do we build mission and values into that where people are excited to be there and know they have a purpose um, in this company. And so that is sort of the thread around the community building. It's different because it's happening within an entity, but in some ways it's also happening outside of that because we are a service, um, you know, as is in terms of what we do and we're affecting very deeply the community around here, especially when you're going through things, you know, like natural disasters and you're building, um, you know, you get a lot of that connection in the community. And so I do really enjoy that part of it. And that's kind of where when I'm jumping into something, that's the exciting part for me. And so I think part of this is I've learned to be a little bit industry agnostic and more about what is the problem or the issue situation that I can kind of jump into where I feel passionate about the people and connecting them and having them be excited about what they're doing and giving us a sense of purpose together and and being part of that. And so that's the golden thread that stitches all of that together. And, And I think the thing that makes it more than just hammer and nails, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, because you're really building lives sure. and building spaces for lives. And I think it really has to be when you look at a company like this, Allen Construction has been around now 35 years. Dennis Allen, the founder, is still here in a really yeah, you know, right? core part of this community yep. and has driven a lot of the environmental reform. And so this for him has been and will always be more than building. Um, this is about the community. This is right. about the right. environmental platform he's um, kind of 
had alongside of the building efforts to make this place something that's more sustainable long term. And I mean, I mean that in multiple ways around sustainability. And so that's that's exciting for me because that's a thread everybody buys into that comes sure. from the company. And it makes you, you know, all start sort of from the same place, which is much easier to be running that. Talk to me about how different things are now as it relates to sustainable building and architecture and kind of just bring us all because we know about leads which mm -hmm. is you know platinum leads is you know mm -hmm. sustainable green buildings and all of that um where is that going what's yeah. the next few years look like so you know really and that's something that has been great for me because i've had to learn more about that um mm -hmm. as i've kind of gone along one of the things that's very clear you know we were dennis especially but the whole company has embraced this um, we were a pioneer in that movement, and so that, that started a long time ago. And what's happened is code has caught up with a lot of this innovation and green building, which is great. That's what we want. Sure. Um, in some ways, as a company, that doesn't put us as far ahead as we used to be, but that's the whole point of this as people realize this is better, green building is better Absolutely. building, yeah. then we're kind of moving that direction. We're going to see more of movement that way with um, zero net energy um, sort of set becoming to core explain to, what zero net yeah. energy is. So basically moving forward, there will be, um, you cannot consume more than you're producing at kind of the highest level in, in building so new housing. Neutral so, carbon footprint so, is the same yeah. thing. And so there are very few houses that actually do this. And so what we want to do is start getting a portfolio um, of people who are like, yes, I want to invest in this and do this before it hits so that we can actually show this can be done. We don't have, and of course it has been done at a very small level, but if you're going to, this is going to be for the state of California, if, if you're asking architects and builders to do something that they have not been doing um, collectively across the state as part of what we do, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to turn that on, it, it's not gonna work very well moving forward. And so I think for us, it's like, how do we focus on that as we're going into new builds so that we can prove to people this can work and architects and, and construction companies can together know how to do this well so that it's not you know, in two years down the road trying to figure this out while it's kind of too late. Isn't it, this this feels to me though like as you describe that it's a lot like the um, the plastic bags and grocery store conversation like on a different scale but but like that thing of like grocery stores were spending huge amounts of money on plastic bags that they were giving away for free and now everybody buying a canvas bag from the store and then bringing it back has actually been an increase in profit to the store or mm -hmm. lead paint like you know, for, for hundreds of years, we were using lead in our paints. And then as a community, you know, and as science presented that to us, that that's maybe not a great idea for your children. Um, <laughs> we, as, a, as an entire culture and community, had to remove lead from, from pain. And that's still happening around the world. There's still a struggle of it. But it's like kind of that to, to, your, to that point of like, if you can just make people aware enough to understand that this has to happen, we have to insulate houses better. We have to seal them better against, you know, like energy loss. Like, it just has to be that big enough. You have to make it so that people understand that there is no, we can't, it's, it's not like, well, we can just take most of the lead out of the paint. We can just, we can just sort of seal the house. It's like, no, we need to get all the way there. And then on the other side of that, it'll be like, why, 
why did we ever give away plastic right. bags in the grocery right. store? Why, why did we ever build houses that weren't as energy economic as we could make them? I'm realizing as you say this that there's a bit of a through line with the other things I've talked about no, that I hadn't no, thought about until right now. And it's that when you're doing something that's on the ground, when you're showing a model or something that works, it doesn't ever take off for the big picture until there's some sort of policy behind it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's the key, you know, when, what we're doing with the James Irvine Foundation around link learning. That didn't really, I mean, it started picking up traction, but it became cemented once legislation and policy was put in place, and then it became much bigger than because it ever we have, have to been. attack a problem right. for multiple, sure. you know. And this is the same way yeah. when, and it's it's got to come from the ground. People have to demand it, and in this way, I think there is becoming enough demand where people are realizing, hey, this is we have a problem, and we're going to demand from a and and when policy gets involved, it changes things, and that's the big kind of widespread change that you have to go after, and so I think we're starting to see that. Especially, well, I hope we're starting to see that around kind of environmental change. It feels like we are. And it's interesting because this is, in this sense, it feels like something that is very country specific or region specific. You see that in other places. You see that in Europe. You see that, sure. you know, starting Absolutely. to potentially yeah, happen yeah, yeah. here. How is this going to work? And, and in some ways, I suppose you're seeing this in China already model. in some ways where it's like mm -hmm. you got to make some changes and it's coming at a policy level. And so I think as we're becoming more global, it's really interesting whether that's an environmental sort of charge or whether this is education based, how are these sort of movements or changes that are happening at a wide scale going to translate globally? Because in some ways they won't, in some ways they will. And I'll be just very curious to see how all that plays out. There's another dot to connect here, which is you said at the very beginning, the first thing you look at is, is there a proof of concept? Is there a, a, a uh, reproducible business model? Is there a sustainable idea at the core of this whole thing? And that's exactly what you're saying now. It's like, yes, we're seeing that with green building. Yes, we're seeing how these things happen. And you needed a proof of concept. You need a few of those greenhouses, a few of those carbon neutral houses where you can go back and go, see? Doesn't, doesn't it seem like that's that, that calling them, and I'm not, I'm not saying they should stop, but like calling them greenhouses almost categorizes them in this like, the specialized thing that, that can't exist over here oh, and only exists in this compartment. And I think I think green building makes sense to me because it's like, no, it's a technique of building with an aspiration of saying, we're going to use the best techniques we can find currently to get to this place. It's not it's hmm. not that we've, you know, like a tiny home seems to be a category. A green home seems to be a category. Green building seems to be a practice that you can apply to green remodeling, green building. You know, like huh. every time you address your home, you can say, how can we get closer? Do you talk about language in this? Language, say more. Yeah, like how do you, um, you know, the, the taxonomy of what this is, right? Um, As a company, are you a, are you building a vocabulary for mm -hmm. what you're doing or, or, or drawing in words that make sense to your builders and your the people working there? So when Al Gore gave his... Um, Al Gore, I'm not familiar. Is he, he, he did a slideshow, a PowerPoint, so PowerPoint at TED in, in 26, oh, okay. yeah, 2006. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that, something about that, yeah. And it was all global warming. Everything was global warming. And um, a guy in the TED audience rose his hand and said, you're calling it the wrong thing. Mm. It's a climate crisis. Mm. Right. You need to. And that's, we were right. sitting there and, he, and, yeah. and Jay yeah. Walker said, it's a climate crisis. He goes, oh, yeah, 
That was and global warming it. sounds pleasant. Sounds like a blanket. Yeah. Oh, good. I'll put a blanket. Reframed on. it. So yeah. his that I just wonder if there's a reframing <laughs> thing here. It's mm. good. We're calling it globe murder. Yeah. It's globe <laughs> murder. I think so. There's something. I, I, I don't know if you're exactly where you're going, but for me, it's when it gets personal. Yes. Um, oh, and so yes. I think a house is a personal thing. Yeah, yeah. And so when you know that you're, and in some ways, I suppose grocery shopping in your plastic bag yeah. is a personal thing. Yeah, it is. When you have, when you're touching it and it feels tangible to yep. you, the chances of it changing, I think, get higher yeah. because you're connecting yourself to it. And in that sense, I think that that's part of why there's been some kind of strong movement forward on this, especially in a country where home ownership is a big deal. Yeah. And yeah. it's part yeah. of kind of embedded in what you're supposed to kind of aspire to. And so I think that there's something to that that's actually very powerful here mm. that gives us an advantage in terms of like making a big change because people will demand it. This is, we're seeing this in all fronts. You know, I suppose you see this in solar, you see this in cards, you see this with, it's the consumables that you're, or not necessarily consumable, but what you're spending your money on says who you are. It yeah, identifies it who yeah, you are. Sure. And so there has become, in a, and I don't know if this is good or bad, I think we've used used it in some ways for good, there's become this sort of cachet or status around being very environmentally conscious. I hope people really mean it, but I think they do. And so that's a big deal because it's changed, um, you know, it, it changes what people are aspiring to for good or bad because they're doing something behind that that's very good and is, is changing, you know, the globe for the better. And so I think that's a big deal. Allen has a really strong solar division, don't you? We've done solar, and that's very hard to compete with. And so energy, we kind of have an hard to compete uh, with. There, you've a lot of international players. Solar um, has been. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For those of you at home, very excited answer. (laughs) I'm swinging my hands around. Just knocked the mic over. Yeah, that's thanks for being generous there. Um, So. we have an energy division, which we want to encompass more than just solar. Ah. And your question about uh, solar has been hard to compete with economically because you have international players who come in, you have big players. And if you're more boutique, you know, we're not servicing all of California. We have a market here in Santa Barbara, also, also in LA and up in San Luis Obispo. The margins are very yeah. thin. It's been very, very hard for us to compete. Mm. And so that's one where, you know, we believe in it with all, all we do. You know, we do a ton, we've done a ton of solar work. Um, we will continue to really push for people when they're doing their homes, try to make this as green as possible. We're gonna help you do that. Um, in terms of running a solar division, that is not, you know, that's something we wanna leave for other actors who do that incredibly well and who can do that at scale. Who's, you know, one of the things with, uh, you had said, one of the things that drives change is policy and legislation. uh, That's from the top down. The other is the people from the bottom up asking for those. Who's driving this conversation now? Is it uh, people who come to you and say, I want you to build the home? Or is that the architect saying, I mean, who's driving these decisions mostly? Yeah, I think it's it's coming from both sides because you have architects who truly believe in this. You have a lot of people. I mean, this is a deeply personal issue um, for a lot of people because you're dealing with more of the end consumer in terms of the, um, the homeowner. You're going to see more of that. And that's where we've primarily seen that. And sometimes that takes some convincing. I think there's this sense that, oh, it's mm. more expensive. Um, is that or, true or not true, by the no, way? No, it expense. doesn't have it doesn't have to be. Um, okay. I think that's been the that's part of where we're at a good place in this, that we've shown that this is actually something you can do the and do well and it's better building in the long run. Mm. Um, and so 
I would say, you know, for the most part, that has been the end consumer and um, the client because it's something that they care about. And it can, who knows where that's coming from? I think that's coming from a lot of places. Um, it's people a lot. You see this a lot where people who um, maybe you've sold a business or you've gotten to a place where you can afford to build a very nice house. You want you realize there are things I want to do with my life that are bigger than just me. Um, and you know, sure. you start moving, I think over time you just move, we all do this, we start moving that direction. And I think you better be pretty cognizant and conscious of, hey, what am I doing with this environment when you're you know, kind of moving that direction? And so I think people start thinking about that more and more and that's great. And so you're seeing that more from the, the client side than you probably have ever seen before, which I think shows that there are so many different pieces that are kind of pushing against whether that's as simple things as like your your shopping bag um, or which car you're using that then kind of when you're doing something as big as building a house or doing a remodel you're like oh okay i better be thinking about this too because it's become a core part of my life in other ways part of what i i've studied this just a tiny bit but i i've learned um that like how the house is positioned, what you do with windows, how you face, I mean, all of that matters to get the most efficiency out of the home. And so that's this, okay, so now what's the relationship of the house to the land, mm -hmm. right? So that's a, mm -hmm. that's a big deal. It's not just lines of rows because we've laid out some sure. grid that we did in the 50s, right? It's something different. Okay, so given that that's a truth, and given that we have just had this major disaster in Montecito and mud, debris flow, I think is the proper term, which has literally changed the topography of, of the, the area significantly. And there's a lot of homes that are, you know, they're now grappling with how do we rebuild this? And do we don't we rebuild this. Mm -hmm. Well, right? that like, was I mean, a question yeah. at a big community meeting last night was, and, and the guy said, listen, it's our American right to, own property and build lands and we can't this you well, can't this, take that this, away every, from me every, in the south every time there's a hurricane people are like well why are you building next to the ocean and it's like it's the ocean <laughs> I wanna, <laughs> like, yeah so know, like, so so given that we know that's going to happen i'm really interested in uh is there a new way to rethink this because we don't even know what the new water flows are going to be, right? Until we have water flowing through them, and and you know I'm a TED. Thank, oh, by the way, thank you for supporting our TEDx Santa Barbara. We deeply appreciate that, and I'm thinking that this year, part of what I want to do is have a conversation around this. Of what is that relationship we have, and what, how do we mitigate? disaster that's going to happen. I mean, just the natural yeah. mother nature is going to happen. So as, as a builder, how are you guys thinking about that? And is there, is there an opportunity for innovation here? Sure. I mean, this is something I've thought a bit about and I really, I don't know the answer partly because this hasn't, you know, I haven't been I know, in construction it's all my new. whole life. And uh, I think a lot of us do have not built, dealt with something this major. Right. right. So it's been interesting because I heard, you know, a couple things. Uh, our vice president is uh, has been in Montecito since childhood was lived there, grew up there, raised kids there, went to high, went to high school there, and so listening to him talk about you know I've seen this actually happen before. It's been different because you had fewer people, um, but seen seen some some of this happen at a smaller level, and so it's almost like wow, Mother Nature, you know, it comes at. Any she wins. Times. Yeah. And so I was talking to a couple architects yesterday who were sort of saying the same thing. It's like 
uh, you know, these boulders have been pretty much everywhere uh, and on people's front lawns. And, you know, yeah. it, it's like, where did they come from? Well, this happened before. And so it does make us have to take a pretty serious look yeah. at the the safety of this, the the relationship that we have to the earth and surrounding there. Um, you know, what does that mean for setbacks? I don't know the answers to that. I think a lot of people are starting to question um, what does that need to look like? And so, um, you know, I don't, you know, I think part of what you're asking is how does that relate to green building and how do we just be smart about that? I'm, I'm not sure yet um, because clearly you want to be safe about this. You want to be smart about building in a way that is long-term um, for everybody's sake. And I don't, you know, I think we don't really know what that looks like yet. I'll be really curious. It's something I want to learn more about as we're kind of going through this process. Um, because I think there are a lot of question marks with everybody kind of yeah. looking around and no saying, what do, you, what do you do now? Right. Yeah. What's, well, I, I think about um, uh, somebody just came back from, from I want to say Louisiana, you know, and, and um, there, there's a lot of houses that are built up on like 14 foot high stilts. Right. There's like a defensive technique to the rebuild. And I think like, what's, what's the defense against a mountain sliding through your home? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like um, not because, because we have to start to say like, it's not just relocation. Like, you know, like it's not fair to just say relocation. Well, you just, you just have to live somewhere else um, because these are viable. There's, there, there's viable places that have mitigated risk, right? Like there's yep. certain places, yep. every, yep. every house in Santa Barbara has risk. Mm -hmm. Every house in Ventura sure. has risk. You just look at the 900 that burned down, you know, like they weren't, there was nothing they did wrong. They didn't build it in the wrong place. They didn't build the house wrong. It was like that there's risk in, in everything that you build. So. I, I want, I'm, I'm very excited to see what, what, what companies like you um, and, and my wife, Landscape Architect, is going to come up with to invest, you know, like how, how do we rebuild with mitigated risk? Sure. And I think this is I, I'm starting to think because Mark has done a very good job of trying to piece together all these things from, you know, coming from Nicaragua and this other work in California. And I started thinking a little bit about Nicaragua and how that relates to this. There are natural disasters all over and yep, yep, people learn yep. to rebuild better. And sometimes you don't have the economic ability to do that. But we mm, have seen mm. in general, whether, you know, a native to California, you know, kind of I grew up in Humboldt where there are a ton of earthquakes and you mm. see that people learn to build better. Um, and there are regulations yeah, yeah. that That's allow you to build better. And in the same way, I remember walking. I mean, the rain is crazy in Nicaragua. And there were times where I remember trying to people trying to walk through the street where the rain is it just rained for 30 minutes and it's like up to your knees and there was one really? point where the water had built up so much against my wall it was concrete sort of blocks um, on the wall that there was water oozing through the wall and dripping down onto the floor of the house you know it's over time you learn you know, if that had been a different structure that probably would have gone down there are other houses that can't withstand that there and that's not even complicated building right so the point is over time people you're going to live in destructive places. It's part of, uh, I think, just how the world is. And obviously, you don't want people to be there if they don't have to be. But there are communities built in places where you got to deal with the elements. So we're just learning how to do that better. And we have the economic resources to do that better and the know-how to do that better. I'm, I'm, I'm so interested in seeing <clears throat> how this community comes together to, yeah. to solve this because it it has to be solved. I mean, I, they just uh, issued new maps yesterday and said you're either in you're in high risk or extreme high risk. And, you know, you're either in the yellow. I'm now <clears throat> you're either a yellow person or a red person based on the map. And I'm in the yellow. And I live on a hill and there's no way <clears throat> this is going to come near us at all. Yet we're still in 
this zone, right? And, and so, well, how long are we going to be this? Well, you know, maybe three to five years. So now, as much as we love rain, I mean, we need rain so bad. We love it. We do rain dances where us people post pictures, it's raining, you know, it, that's, but now it's like, oh, I don't want rain because that means I, someone may say, well, is that enough rain or too much rain? And you all have to leave now. So 18,000 of us on somebody's say-so is going to, yep, got to leave. So there, there's all these interesting other things that are happening as a result. But I think the role of the, the, the opportunity for innovation is going to be interesting. There's a friend of ours who lives on Riven Rock, which was one of the areas, mm -hmm. and it's an ancestral home. She's third generation, so it was grandma's home. All made of stone. House is made of stone. Not zero problem, uh, and and it's the way it was built, the way it was built up high. Everything went around it, and I wonder. I just really wonder what how we're going to be doing that kind of stuff. It's like okay, you can be there, and it's your home is an island around that, and we don't know yet, yeah. right? What what should uh, change go back? <laughs> I, I'm thinking. Let's get to let's get back to like something less uh, dire. Well, I'm I'm thinking of. Uh, like the what is the interesting thing that's happening around environmental building, green building? What are some of the areas? Because you're, you know, you go to the shows, you read the journals. It's you know, it's your life. What what are some of the things that are just kind of like that's that's going to be cool when that's ubiquitous? Yeah, and this is something where I feel like there is much more expertise in house in in Allen, where we have so many people who are passionate about it. It's why oh. people come here, and it's mm. something I'm still trying to catch up on. And part of, I mean, we're, where we're excited is around the zero net energy sort of right. initiatives that are coming up, and and what that's going to mean for different type of building, what that's going to mean in general um, for everybody needing to sort of catch up, and what we can do in leadership in that. And so. Dennis is always staying abreast of that, but we have plenty of people who are trying to lead the charge on that, and we just really need to start getting more and more you know, people who are excited to do that, and we can be building their houses together and have the client base, and there's a lot of this that wants to jump in on that. We saw, we, we got to a tour of the Habitat for Humanity, and one of their, one of their sites that they're building with a net zero. Net zero. Zero net energy. Zero yeah. net energy. Yes, same thing. Net zero, I think. So. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, they, the walls weren't skinned yet. They didn't have sheetrock up on the walls, and so we got to really see the ductwork and the, the kind of like ceiling that was happening inside. And and I've done my fair share of summer jobs, you know, remodeling houses, and watching just some of the very simple techniques of just tape, just you know, using certain ceiling tapes to to kind of close off gaps and spaces, and I'm like. This doesn't seem hard. This doesn't seem all this does is seem like a, just an extra thoughtful moment of like saying like, OK, send send Louie around to tape all the holes, you know, just like the, it seems so smart mm -hmm. without being invasive. So I expected they told me what we were going to go see. Oh, you're going to go see, you know, net, net zero energy. And I was like, OK, well, that'll be really high tech or really. And you get in there and you're like, oh, that just seems mm -hmm. smart, just like obvious. So that's part of why I always feel like I hear people in the, you know, in the company saying green building is better building. It's, it's more attention to things like that. And even looking at um, Dennis, our founder's house, which we built and a lot of people come through on tours to check it out. Oh. Um, part of that is, you know, he's saying, I don't know that I think he's maybe used like 
for 10 minutes, some, you know, heating and cooling system. He just doesn't need to. It's the way that the house is built. He's got a bladder underneath the house where he is able to kind of conserve the water. And so it's very, it's not complicated necessarily. It's just well thought out and it's smart in advance. Um, and it's the way the house is situated, the way that you have sort of the sun coming in, awnings, the heating, cooling systems, just making it natural so that it works much better. And that takes planning. So I, th I think you're right. A lot of this is being smart up front. Of course, they're building materials that are going to work better. Of course, the process, if you do it certain ways, is going to make something um, be more energy efficient. But it's the thinking in advance. Like anything, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're thinking about it in advance, you're going to be doing a better job with it. They're just. It seems like there's this like mystery around the execution of it or the, some kind of hype around it. And you, you get to look at it and you're like... Oh, no, it's still a house. It's not like, sure. you know, there's not like this futuristic, mm, yeah. a cold experience of like, oh, well, you're not going to be allowed to sit on couches. That's, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, like. <laughs> couches like, are out. <laughs> well, it's just like there, there was that, that kind of allusion to it that you, that I will have to be sacrificing something in order to have mm. a house that is, that is uh, energy efficient. It won't be as comfortable. It won't be as, you know, you won't be allowed to, there's something. And I don't even know what. It's just that illusion that this world, you know, like, well, you can't get something for nothing. Like, you know, you're going to have to give up, you know, drinking water in the house. I don't know. Like, you know, like. No, that's a, that's a fair point because we, we talk about you. If I want to be well, I have to give up something. I have to give up sugar. I have to give up. Right. Yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. give up. Something, something I enjoy. Right. I have to, and I do that. And it's and it's actually not the case. But it, how great would it be to have the house be comfortable from a temperature point of view all the time without having to mm -hmm. think about it? It's yeah. just like a simple yeah. creature comfort, right? Yeah. And still have a couch. <laughs> yeah. And still couch. I, just, there's, I don't know. There's just like we, we live in a, in a hundred and some year old house. And I think that was it was converted. And I think all the time I walk around and everything I touch, I just, I just think, well, this is really charming. But I would absolutely give it up to not have to run the heater. You know, mm -hmm. or you know, like I'd absolutely give it up right. to, to have. And then it's like, well, it turns out you don't. You don't have to give up the way you live your life mm -hmm. if you just mm -hmm. have a certain amount of kind of like thoughtfulness in the build. Mm -hmm. I had heard a conversation about someone who was building a home and they were they were going this route. I mean, they're going to build uh, use green building. And he was saying something about he felt like the house had built. There was a, an envelope around the house, if you will. It was like it was hermetically sealed mm. to be able to have everything sealed, the heat and the air and everything, the water, everything was recycling and all of that. Is is that a thing? Who knows? <laughs> I, I don't know specifically on that building process how that works. Um, so <laughs> I can't tell yeah. you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's in that process. And again, we have people in the company that totally specialize in this. Um, they have found, you know, they know what works. And I don't I have not seen that all the way through to know what that looks like. Yeah. In interesting stuff. I, you said there's a, I, I can't let this one go. Uh, there's a bladder under his house. <laughs> right. that what is it, that it, exa exactly? Because someone's now walking around with the same <laughs> visual that I have in my head. I, I believe the way this works is sort of a filtration system. And I think he said it was something like 14,000 gallons. I could be totally wow. wrong. I shouldn't be putting this out there if Some I don't know for sure. More than one. That holds, no, I think it's one giant um, kind wow. of bladder system, and it basically is a reservoir um, to hold water underneath wow. the house. And then goes back into irrigation around. Yeah, the and so and, stuff. and part of this is because you have a garden in this, as a central part. You have a lot of air area for you to be able to get this filtration. You could totally going. do it. Sure. Yeah. 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 I you would know, fourteen thousand is not. 
It's that's like a very small so swimming a small pool. Swimming pool. Very small. And it, if you flattened it out, you think, you know, it's that's not a huge amount of. Huh. It, it's totally crazy to me though. Thinking back, for example, with Nicaragua, I mean, I only had when I was living there water at best every other day. And when water was coming, <laughs> everybody would run through town saying the water's on. You knew people oh. were running down the streets to tell you, and so you try to fill up your buckets or your barrels as much the as possible. Water's and on. This is the land of lakes and volcanoes. I mean. Lakes being, you know, but part, is, there's a lot of water. It's not a shortage of water where we live in a place that is totally opposite of that. And we have water all the time. So it is crazy to me how the infrastructure and the way you capture that, uh, we, we forget how far we've mm. come on that and how far, yeah. and obviously it's still a problem here. Yeah. Um, but being in a place where, I mean, literally the, the way, only way you're going to really store that outside of putting it in a bucket or a barrel is to have a pump and a tank that holds the water. And you try to get as much up there as possible when the water is on for that two hours right. every other day. And I don't know, it may have gotten better over the last decade, but at that time, I mean, it was, it was crazy that way. Um, this is, this is this might be too personal, Mark, but I think I think that you were in Montecito when kind of a lot of services were kind of just gone. Yeah, we didn't have water. Water, you didn't have right. water, you didn't have gas, you didn't have electricity all of a sudden. Right. And I feel like, uh, uh, to your point, like that is the thing. Like the generations that currently occupy, you know, America right now are taking for granted the fact that like non-bacteria-based water is coming out mm -hmm. of our taps. Just all the time, mm -hmm. and I think like Flint, Michigan brought this around for us to go, oh wait, like it's actually very hard to get a community to have consistent, stable drinking water. Like it turns out that's really difficult and it's not a small thing. It's a, right. it's a huge <coughs> thing, but, right. it's mo but a lot of, I think a lot of people never went to Nicaragua and had to kind of essentially haul their own water, keep track of their own water, deal yeah. with their own water. And I, it's, yeah. it's a thing of like, I, there should kind of be that moment where it's like once a year, why don't we have that once a year fasting moment where it's like, hey, oh. just so you know, everybody's not going to have We're water. shutting off all utilities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going back to 1735 for 24 hours. Just just to kind yeah. of like have that moment of like, oh, yeah. Like there's there's these lovely green round boxes that sit on a pole all around Santa Barbara. And uh, I drive by them periodically. And I'm always, as an artist, I'm always looking at them going, like, what's that box for? What's in that box? It's a very unique, strange shaped box. And one day I found it open and there was a guy standing next to it. Inside is a uh, kitchen sink faucet. Just a very high silver, straight out of Home Depot kitchen sink faucet. And it's running. He's, he's running it. And I stop and I say, what, what are you doing? And he says, he says uh, this, is, this is the water test station for this, this, air, this neighborhood. There's 35 of these green boxes around town. And every week we come up, or twice a week we come up, and we test the water coming out of the tap so that we can check the the, the water drinking the drinking water quality in every single neighborhood, all over town. Every 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 like week, all the time. Someone's all the time, doing that for us. Somebody's testing that water. It just was so cute that it's just like inside this green box is a kitchen faucet. It's just <laughs> this funny, like not what I expected. I thought it was electrical. I thought it was you know a gas vent or something. But here's this like beautiful faucet, and it's just running, and he's just kind of got a glass of water underneath it. But the point being is that like. There's a lot going on that we don't ever right, kind of sure. see. Until it's gone. Until it's gone. And then you realize, yeah. oh, a drinking water is, is yeah. kind of a big, a big deal. There is, there is I'm not unique in this. There is a, a newfound appreciation for breathable air. <laughs> right? I mean, we had a month of, you know, wearing masks. Yeah. And then we just, like, could I please have a cellular connection that's mm -hmm. stable? Could I please have... You know, neighbors that aren't freaked out. I mean, it's it. I, this was a a heavy hit of reality that 
affected the entire community uh, in a way that's going to have a profound impact over a long, long period of time. And, uh, and I'm sure this will not be the last show we talk about it. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I also appreciate the opportunity, as you said, that uh, I like to play Connect the Dots. And I like to figure mm-hmm. out how that thing that happened 20 years ago is still happening now, but it just looks different. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I was a, um, a chef who went into software, who went into podcasting and how you connect those dots. I don't know. It's just that my mother said, if I didn't stop talking, my brother would never learn how to talk. And so <laughs> being able to communicate with people and that is the through line for me. And so thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How can people find out more about what you guys are doing? Um, I guess it, in the modern day, it's it's about website, you know, and that's probably the easiest way. And so where is, where that's, is that uh, buildallen.com. Build Allen with A L L E L E N. Yeah, because my father-in-law is A N. So we gotta we want to get that one people to find you. So thank you so much about that. Uh, and and the other piece that we do is um, we my longtime I know Isa and Max and uh, Jessica and Jennifer. Those are four frequent listeners. Love this part of the show, which is where you get to name the show. We get to put a title on it. So there was, we had it, we talked about a lot of different things. So if you were looking at a long list of titles, what would we call this one? And you get first dibs on that. Okay. Huh, you did not prep me on this one. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that, by design. I'm going to call this, um, for me, I, I still think, I mean, we know we talked about a lot of things. I'm going to go with uh, just uh, getting communities to connect. Um, or something along that vein where it's, it, for me, that's really been the passion of my life and what I, I enjoy. It. And I guess that doesn't feel like it has a lot to do with running a construction company, but I, in some ways. We didn't talk about you running a construction you know, it's, company it's why, hardly at yeah, all. You know, it's, it's why I'm doing what I do and right. why I'm here now and why, right. you know, I care deeply about this community. And so that's I would, I would, I would hope more people that are running companies would be, would have that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I run a construction company, but. I'm working on my community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for being on the show. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, drop us a note to partner at 805connect.com. And Patrick, to those yeah. uh, people that are still listening and everyone who's not in Finland <laughs> who's listening. Well, either we'll take the Finnish as well. We love them. What, yeah. what could they do to help us on the show? Well, you know, rate, rate, review. I say that uh, I say that every week. And, and um, I, I, somebody out there right now is listening to me say rate, rate, review. And they think, oh, that's a, that's a catchy thing to say. But, but have you? Rated? Have you oh. written? Have you reviewed? This have is a you... personal challenge. This is, yeah, you know, take that moment to say, like, you know what, in your entire podcasting experience, if you've listened to every show that we have, that's that's over 190 shows, to almost 200 shows, yep. um, you, how many of those have you ever reviewed? Just one would be great. Just, We'd love that. Just review it. Tell it. Tell other people why it's important to you. Uh, put a little review in the box. I know this is a uh, this is that NPR personal plea now, but like, uh, you know, it's you that makes the difference. Yeah. So uh, rate, write, review, and uh, let other people know. Uh, get other people subscribed. This is a there is no better gift to give than a podcast that continues to uh, broadcast. So uh, give people a podcast.
podcast as a, as a birthday gift and say, hey, here's a new podcast for you to listen to. There you go. I love that, Patrick. Thank you. I would love to hear from you if you have ideas for people to have on the show. The show is entirely driven by um, emails that you send us and introductions you make and people that we meet on our travels. So drop me a note to mark at 805connect.com. Thank you in advance for that. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.